Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He said, I'm ready to be offered. I fought a good fight, and I've finished my course, and I have kept the faith. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about, is the faith and the fight of faith. Would you lay your Bibles down and would you lift your hands and let's, let's pray and ask the Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you for this time, Lord, that you've appointed. I'm thankful, Lord, that you've given me the opportunity to be here. God, I don't take this for granted. I don't take this lightly, Lord. I understand and assume the responsibility, God, to deliver your word in this house. And I'm asking you to anoint me to do it. And I'm asking you to anoint us to receive it, Lord. God, as your word goes forth, let it touch the hearts of men and women. God, let it be forever changing in us, Lord, to mold us and to make us into the people, God, that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light to be. We give you praise, Lord. We give you glory. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time and give him praise? Maybe seated. In this particular portion of scripture, we are reading the end of a seemingly last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. Many believe that it is, in fact, his last will and testament and I tend to agree. See, it's an example what we have here in this epistle of an outgoing generation that is charging the remaining generation 
to endure. It's a generation that is charging, a generation that is coming behind them to endure and to the end. Its theme is saturated. It's, it's inundated with warning and it's, it's saturated with admonition to not only maintain but to strive toward an intended goal. Paul's writing provides insight, direct, in-depth insight into what would become of the condition surrounding the world and even us. I say us because although this letter is written to an individual by the name of Timothy, it's evident that Paul would hope that it would reach a broader audience. Paul ends his letter with a charge. Although it's directed to his young protege, I believe that it still echoes through the corridor of time now, even today. The principles still stand. And what was warned against is absolutely playing out before our eyes as we speak. The times that we find ourselves in are absolutely perilous. We do find ourselves in uncertain Times, but they are only uncertain to an extent. And although Paul talked about a time to come, a time that would far reach his own life, that difficulty would come, Paul was not speaking from a point of comfort. Paul did not write this letter from the office of a church house. Paul knew what it was like to live in peril. Paul was not a stranger to opposing force. And it's this same Paul that we are reading after today is the same man that has been shipwrecked. He's been snake bit. He knows what it's like to be cold. He knows what it's like to be beaten. Yet his ministry is marked by victory. But those victories did not come on an easy street. It did not come without its share of difficulty. And those victories did not arrive on his doorstep as if he clicked an order and it just came. You see, Paul, to me, even in this, is an example and a clear contrast of what most of the church world preaches today. It's a clear and concise opposite of what most say a Christian life should be. But I'm here to tell you that triumph does not come without its share of tri trials and with its share of tragedies. You see, it cannot be triumph if there is not the presence of hardship. And so his final reminder to Timothy is that simply truth will always be under fire. Truth will always be in the fight of its life, but that truth will always prevail. Always. If you keep it, it will prevail. This is not the first time that Paul spoke of fighting for something. In fact, if you read his epistles, it's, it's salted and peppered throughout. Paul was a fighter. Paul had a fight on the inside of him he fought what he believed in. 
And so this is not the first time that Paul has spoke of this. No, he, he actually charged Timothy once before in 1 Timothy 6 and 12 when he told him to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so that's what I want to talk to us about today. The fight of faith. For us to understand the fight first, we must understand the faith. And so for just a few moments, I'm going to say a lot of stuff that you probably already know. But I feel in the Holy Ghost that we need to be reminded over and over and over. It's going to sound somewhat elementary, but hold on a minute. We're going to jump back and forth, but I promise you we're going somewhere. And so for us to understand the fight first, we must understand the faith. And so what is faith, in fact? Dictionary, if you were to look up the word faith, says that it is a complete trust in something or someone. But Paul uses a word, pistis, in the Greek. It means persuasion or credence. Persuasion. So it's not just believing. It's persuaded. So with that in mind, let's look at the biblical example and the biblical definition of faith. Hebrews 11 Very familiar territory. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of the gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, believe, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, it's not just belief, but it's belief that's followed by something. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receiving inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so there, in the onset, we first understand that faith is not only belief. It is belief, but not only 
belief. And we see that faith in and of itself in the first and foremost definition is tied directly to sacrifice. You see, you can't see faith, but you can see the results of faith. You can't see it, but you can see the aftermath of it. So for us to further understand what it consists of, we need to travel back a little bit further into the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2 and 1 through 4. Habakkuk said, I will stand upon my watch and set, set me upon the tower. will watch to see what he shall say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk struggled with the same things that we struggle with today. And that's what he's talking about here It's the same question that we've all asked at one time or another. If God is a just God, if God is a loving God, then why all the suffering? You see, Habakkuk lived in the midst of peril, and he lived in the midst of iniquity and in the midst of violence. And he asked the question, how long shall I cry? How long shall this go on before the Lord will answer me? But the Lord did answer him in time and spoke something not yet now, but something that is yet to come. And then this curious statement, the just shall live by his faith. In Hebrews, the word faith is immediately tied to sacrifice or action. Because Abel offered sacrifice unto God, a more excellent sacrifice. But Habakkuk uses a word which means firm fidelity. A firm moral fidelity or trusty or faithful. Hebrews reiterates it when he said in 10 and 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Paul also makes reference in the book of Romans to that same scripture in Romans 1 and 16 when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto Salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. From faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so from faith to faith denotes movement movement toward something, a forward 
motion, so all-encompassing. I know we've skipped back and forth, but all-encompassing faith is simply this. Faith is lifestyle. Faith comes down to the way you live your life, and it's carried out rather than just believing. Faith is believing. However, it's belief with action. James, I won't read it for the sake of time, but James said faith without works is dead. And so real faith is living toward something. Faith is having the ability to trust God that what I give to him, he will make up the difference. Faith is living toward God and living in such a way that what I give to him, he will do whatever he will with that and I trust him with whatever he does with that. Whether that be my time or whether that be my money or whether that be my entire life, I've got to trust what he will do with that. What I render to him, he will make up the difference. It's trusting God and looking beyond where I am in the current state that I am, in whatever state that may be. Let me say that again. Faith is trusting God and looking beyond where I am now, no matter what state I may be in in the current moment. You see, faith is not only believing that God can and will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But it's having faith in him even when it seems as he has not. Perception is, perception is a killer on a lot of us. We can perceive something that is not true or perceive something that may not be necessarily right and so then... We find ourselves in a conundrum. We don't know what is up and what is down or left and right, but we've got to keep our eyes in a forward motion, trusting God no matter what is perceived that I may be going through. It's continuing to live for him even when there seems to be difficulty in my life. And so there, there, in that moment, that's where the conflict lies that's why faith is a fight and to keep it it is a fight I feel like telling somebody here today it was never meant to be an easy thing to live in this planet post garden nobody ever said that it was supposed to be easy to live in this earth post garden God never said it Men have perceived it. Men have thought that if God is a loving and just God, that everything will work out okay for me. And I'm sorry to say, but that doesn't always happen. But faith is a fight. You see, Abel had faith in God. And he offered a more excellent sacrifice than his brother because of that faith and God accepted it, but in a sense, that cost him his life. Innocent blood was spilled 
because of faith. In the eyes of the world, that would not seem as though that would be an even trade. I give to you, and you give back to me, even. But I'm sorry to say the kingdom of God is not built on even trades in the earth. If it were built on even trades, then I would not even be here today. Because if you give nothing, you get nothing. I brought nothing to the table, but God's mercy and his grace has found me here in a place that I don't deserve to be. Yet, on the other hand, you see men that have given everything, but yet they stand in an uneven place. And so I certainly have not come to this desk today to scare anyone or make any kind of false accusations and certainly have not come to cross swords with anyone, but I'm here to say that faith is complicated. Faith is complicated. Case in point, Stephen. Acts 6 and 1 says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So the twelve apostles called men together, and they said, It is not reason that we should serve tables, that we should leave the word of God. And so they said, Take out from among you men, brethren, full of Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may appoint over this business. We'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, saying, please, the whole multitude. And he chose a man by the name of Stephen. The Bible says in Acts 6, 1 and 5 said, and, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Numbers of other men that went alongside of him to work in this daily ministration. So in verse 7, if you drop down, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost and full of power and faith, even in the midst of a great increase, if we read on further, a contention arose and those men could not defend themselves against his wisdom in the word of God. His faith and his, his, his powerful words in the word of God, his knowledge of the word of God and what he believed, they could not contend with that. Stephen, a man devoted his life to the gospel, he was not a pulpit preacher, he was just a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost that was chosen by God to carry out a ministry in the church. But in a sense, in a sense that cost him 
his life. Can I tell you today that if you're in this church and if you've got the Holy Ghost and you are full of faith, don't ever think for a second that that is not going to attract the enemy to you to try to thwart what God is doing in your life. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can just come here and clap our hands and go home and eat fried chicken and everything's going to be okay. But I'm telling you, we are in the fight of our lives. His goal today is the same as it has always been from the garden even till now to circumvent and destroy all that God has instituted in us. You can see it throughout scripture and we even experience it here today but your faith is having the ability to stand against those attacks no matter what the outcome may be. Whether that victory is immediate or whether the victory is out of eyesight even though Stephen was martyred, even though Stephen was stoned to death, Stephen looked up into the heavens and he beheld the real prize. He said, I see the Son of God sitting on the right hand of power. That is the real prize. And those men that stoned him to death laid their garments at the very feet of the man that we started out here with today. The very man that said fight the faith is the very man that was standing there watching him die. They laid their garments there. And the very thing that Stephen was martyred for and killed for in that very moment is the same thing that we are here for today. It is the same gospel. It was the same yesterday, today, and forever because the gospel is Jesus Christ. It is that he has come. It is that he is here to save to the uttermost. It was men like him that brought us to where we are today. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost now. It was men like him and families and women together that brought families together that were willing to give everything they had to further this gospel and to stand for the truth of God's word. And that's why we are here today. But hear me now. That, that generation has passed away and their fight has become our fight. It's time for us to arise now. It's time for us to stand now and fight the fight of faith because it's the faith that we're fighting for. It's not just a faith. It's not just a belief but it is the faith that we're fighting for. Jude 1 and 3 said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And so the faith is what's being tested on all sides. It's our way of life that is being threatened as we speak and the spirit of compromise is attempting its encroachment upon families and upon individuals and even entire organizations throughout this country and throughout the world even as we speak it's creating some kind of some kind of catechism of, 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 of not understanding what this from that and this from that and say well well maybe we shouldn't do this and maybe we shouldn't do that no I'm telling you that's the spirit of compromise and I'm telling you today that we cannot give in to the spirit of compromise 
This gospel is not outdated. This gospel is not going anywhere. So whether you live it or not, it's going to keep going on and on and on and on. But I want to be in it. I don't want to be outside of it. I want to get all the way in and fight for the faith. If you've made it through skirmishes, if you've made it through little battles here and there, please hear me today. Don't don't get on the other side of that and say, well, now it's time to relax. Don't think the devil won't back up and then he'll ram you again and try you again. That's what he's into. The Bible says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. We've got to always be on the ready because we are in the fight of our lives. It's a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual battle. And as I've already said, the enemy is working over time and even triple time. He doesn't punch a time clock. He doesn't go home at five and say, well, I'll work a double today. I'll just go home at midnight. No, it's 24 hours a day. It's seven days a week. He's fighting because he knows his time is short and he's trying to do his best to take everyone he can with him And so we are fighting spiritually in this world today. The world that we live in is quickly deteriorating. And you can see this all around us. It's deteriorating in the moral structure that once upheld this country. It's it's just eroding. It's sand on a beach away from us. But I'm telling you that there is a people in Hatch Bend, Florida, that is standing still, standing for truth. We're standing on a firm foundation, the Word of God and the Apostles' Doctrine. But that's nothing new. Look at our world today and see everything is changing at a rapid pace, and it is. But don't you think that the other generations that live before us, their world changed just as rapidly as ours is changing before our eyes. So it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Each generation has faced its own opposition and has stood in the shadow of its own Goliath. And now we stand here and our own struggles with the devil standing upon a hilltop saying, send me a man. Well, I want to know if there's some Davids in this house today that will say there's a fight worth fighting for. I'm going to go get me some, uh, some smooth stones, and I'm going to go with the word of God and God with me, and I'm going to fight this giant. I've read, rather, I've listened to two messages within the last couple of months, I, I, I tend to listen to podcasts when I'm at work, and I, I love apostolic preaching. There's nothing like it. Sometimes it's just playing in the background, and you're trying to concentrate on other things, but it's just playing in the background, and I can hear the fire that is in the voices of these men preaching. But in, in, in one podcast I listened to was back in 1964. Brother Carl Ballestero preached a UPCI General Conference. And then just a few days later, I listened to another message from a Reverend Miles Young that pastors out in California in 2009. And the correlation between those two, it was as if they were preached just yesterday. So I say that to say this, there's nothing new 
under the sun and the devil has been ascending and attacking since the world began and so we have our own fight it's our fight and it's time for people to arise and fight because we have been called for such a time as this if you are alive on this earth now you are alive for a purpose and you have a purpose in the kingdom of God we've been called to fight and we have been called to endure until the end and find our victory fight the good fight of faith because it's a good fight worth fighting for so how how do we do this how do we fight Brother Rayleigh so aptly stated just last week, he said this, and I wrote this down because it, it just it touched me in such a way, but he said, prepare yourself with every available weapon. Prepare yourself with every available weapon. So we know this because Second Corinthians says, for we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so what are the weapons Ephesians 6 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all, on top of all of that, hold on to and taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so our main weapon here today is prayer. We cannot make it without prayer. We must pray individually and we must pray corporately. Prayer. I'm here to tell you, and I certainly don't want to offend anyone today, but this past election that just took place is not the cure for what ails this country. Oh, so so many are so distraught and crying over spilled milk while others are in, in, in a state of victory and, and pomp and just shaking their fists that this is going to be it. I'm telling you that this election has not done anything that ails this country. It's a good thing. I believe that good things can come from it. So please don't misunderstand me. And I do love this country. I fought for this country. I served this country. But prayer is the only thing that's going to cure what ails this country. But it's not just prayer. No, it's not just prayer. There's a certain person and a certain people that need to be praying. It says, if my people, 
if my people which are called by my name. You see, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus and you have been filled with the precious Holy Ghost, you are his people. And that's the people that should be praying. He said, if you would pray that are called by my name and humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then the promise, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the fact of the matter is this, victory will be had. But individually, victory will only be decided in my life by the amount of energy and focus that I put in to the fight. I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's time for the people of God, the people that are called by his name to arise and to fight for what is right. It's time we stand in absolute direct opposition to the world, not just some. (laughs) Well, I'm gonna talk to me for a minute too, okay? Direct opposition means absolutely nothing. I don't engage in that. I don't look toward that. I don't want to have my hands in that. But it's not saying, well, I won't do that, but I can do this. You can fill in the blank. It's not saying, well, we'll, 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 we'll come together and, and we'll, we'll, we'll compromise on this other stuff, but we'll, we're going we're gonna to stick to this. Well, I better not say that. Let me just, let me just move on. It's time that we stand in direct opposition to the world. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the world and its philosophies, its mindsets, its, 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 its way of life. It's what it says is right and wrong. No, I want to look to this book to find out what's right and wrong. My congressman is not going to tell me what's right and what's wrong. My teachers are not going to tell me what's right and what's wrong. This book, this book in the word of God is what's going to tell me right from wrong. You see, we stand in direct opposition of the world, and I'm, I'm hurrying. I promise I'm hurrying by our lifestyle. You see, in a world that is hateful and becoming increasingly hateful, we speak the truth. In love, in a shameful world, we should walk upright and righteously. When everyone around you is using all kinds of foul language, laughing at all kinds of things, you simply don't have to engage in that. You see, I'm going to live by faith, and I'm going to fight for faith. He told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Pursue righteousness. Stay away from all of those things that would come against you because the world offers a lot of things that can distract you from what you should really be doing. But I'm here to tell you it's time to fight. It's time to fight. It's time to enlist. It's not time to wait to be recruited. It's time to walk in and enlist and say, here I am, use me for whatever you will, Lord. Buy the truth and sell it not and buy the truth. Get all of this you can because we're fighting the faith. So I want to talk about that for just one more moment. I'm far behind where I should be. 
Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. He referred to his life as a drink offering. What's more important about this, one commentary said this, he considered himself on the eve of being sacrificed. He could not have spoken of that unless the sentence of death had already been passed upon him. Paul was in a prison awaiting execution, but he's still standing there saying, fight, 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 because I've fought the good fight of faith. I've finished my course, and I have kept the faith, the faith, the faith. Let me say it again, the faith. In the Bible, faith, the word used, is used over 200 times in the New Testament alone, faith. But the faith is only used about 42 times, if I'm correct, because I'm, I'm, I'm a little far behind in my notes. Paul said, I've kept the faith. If our musicians can come, please. I've kept the faith. <laughs> You see, the faith denotes the actual doctrine and Christian doctrine that is found throughout this book. The faith is the apostolic doctrine. The faith is everything that Jesus both began to do and to teach. Paul said, I've kept the faith. I've had faith. And there's a lot of things that I have put my faith in in the past. But I put my faith in the faith. I've kept the faith. I'm here to tell you today that where you are might not look like it will end well. But keep the faith. It may look like everyone around you has abandoned you and you are all alone. But I'm here to tell you, fight the good fight of faith. It may seem as if you are losing ground, but lay hold on this truth and hold on until the end because we are heading somewhere. There is an end to all of this. We've all been given the measure of faith. And so I can take that and place it wherever I choose to place it. But when I put my faith in Him, that's when everything works out for the good. When I love him more than my own life, that's when everything works out for the good. But when I place my faith in him and I place all of my trust in him, that's when everything comes out in the end because Paul said, I have kept the faith henceforth. Let's stand together. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let me say it like this in closing. If you'll keep the faith, the faith will keep you. If you will fight for the faith, the faith will fight for you. Because if we keep this, it's this is going to be the judge in the final end. 
So no matter where I am right now, no matter what I see that I may go, be going through, if I'll keep the faith, there is a crown of righteousness that is waiting for me. And nothing in this earth, whether good or bad, can even compare to that. If I will keep the faith, the faith will keep me. Let's lift our hands together right now and let's thank him for his mercy. Would you thank him for who he is and for what he's done in your life? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.